0: From the American Society of Cataract and Refractive Surgery, I'm Josh Young, and this is As Seen From Here. On today's podcast, endocyclophotocoagulation at ASCRS.
1: Uh, which is a fiber optic endoscope that has also an 810 nanometer laser that it can shoot from. So you have one probe. First this.
0: Imagine a library of 100,000 books in subjects that interest you and subjects that don't. The books of this library are arranged, bizarrely, by publisher and date of publication. How useful would such a library be to you? How soon would you give up on trying to find a book that really interested you? ASCRS's impressive online content has been a little like that library until now. The new ASCRS Center for Learning at ASCRS.org slash learn organizes the vast and growing ASCRS online content, podcasts, and CME offerings into a unified, searchable whole so that we can find the material we want in the format that best suits us. Go to ASCRS.org and click on Center for Learning or go directly to ASCRS.org learn. I had the opportunity to interview a number of people advancing the forefront of ophthalmology during the ASCRS annual meeting in New Orleans. Edited versions of these interviews are presented on the iWorld Replay website as brief videos. I'm going to present these interviews in their entirety over a number of podcasts. Today, we hear from Nathan Radcliffe, and Robert Noker on endocyclophotocoagulation. I'm here with Nate Radcliffe. It, Nate, I'm going to learn something new. I can tell it just, just looking at you. Uh, so were you. Talked
1: about ECP in conjunction with other MIGS. For- so ECP stands for endocyclophotocoagulation, and this is a uh, thermal treatment, ablation, destruction uh, of the ciliary processes done ab interno, uh, usually at the time of cataract surgery, or at least in a pseudophagic patient, for the purposes of lowering the pressure for treatment of glaucoma.
0: So sort of, sort of talk me through it. What what am I? What are the tools? That, um, that, I'm, that I'm going to use, and you, how technically challenging is it? How, how long does it take? All of those sorts of things.
1: Okay. So uh, the, the good answers to these questions. Uh, basically, at the end of a routine cataract extraction, you're halfway there. You'll put a little bit of extra viscoelastic in the sulcus, and you'll use the endoscope, uh, which is a fiber optic endoscope that has also an 810 nanometer laser that it can shoot from. So you have one probe. You can have a curved or a straight 23 gauge is the size of the probe, or 20, and we usually end up using the 20 gauge probe. Uh, And we uh, inflate the sulcus, we can see the ciliary processes, we can see any other pathology in the bag or having to do with the haptics or the lens, Uh, and we then uh, laser. Uh, We blanch the ciliary processes as we treat, and we try to get about 270 degrees of the eye. Uh, If you want to make a second incision and get the other uh, part of the angle or the uh, ciliary body, you can do that. Uh, Afterwards, you finish the cataract surgery like any other, making sure to get rid of the viscoelastic, and then you uh, treat the inflammation and watch out for a pressure spike, but uh, that's sort of the procedure. Other than that, it's like a routine cataract surgery.
0: Nate, how much pressure reduction do you typically see with this procedure, and how worried do I have to be about hypotony with these patients? Because I will tell you, that is the the Rubicon that I'm r- worried about crossing.
1: Okay, so to begin with, hypotony isn't really going to be an issue. Uh, we see that with cyclophotocoagulation, but not with endos- uh, endoscopic cyclophotocoagulation. Uh, next, how many millimeters of pressure reduction? Let's say four millimeters, uh, you know, on average, and you can get a little more, uh, and in some cases, you may get a little less. Um, and you know you can manage this procedure with the tools in your toolkit for the cataract surgeon. So we're treating inflammation, we're treating pressure spikes, and then we're taking off drops as the patient recovers. Uh, so I think this is a procedure for cataract surgeons. In fact, believe it or not, endocyclophotocoagulation is the most commonly Performed incisional glaucoma surgery in the United States right now?
0: I did not know that, Nate. Um, so let let me let me set things up like this. MIGs can get a pressure reduction of X, and TRABs and tubes can get us one that's much larger. There's this space in the middle, uh, and, and that was kind of the gist of your talk. Today, can I get you to talk about that?
1: Sure. So, you know, we have a gap. Uh, The initial gap was between medications and glaucoma surgery. And now the gap is sort of between MIGs, which can cover mild, moderate glaucoma, and then these sort of moderate to severe patients before you would do the trap. Uh, In my mind, that's the role of combined MIG surgery. Uh, And this can be combining several different outflow treatments, um, several, maybe placing several stents combining endocyclophotocoagulation with an outflow procedure such as an eye stent uh, or a goniotomy or something along those lines. And, yeah, we're trying to get additivity knowing that the cumulative safety profile is still going to be favorable because all these procedures have a favorable safety profile.
0: And since the mechanism of IOP reduction for these two procedures for a trabecular meshwork bypass and uh, for um, the endoscopic procedure are completely different. Uh, The effects, at least in theory, should be additive.
1: They should be additive in theory. Uh, Of course, the caveat is when you're talking about glaucoma, nothing needs to ever make sense. So it is possible. Just as timolol may not be the best add to a prostaglandin analog, even though you're combining two complementary mechanisms, uh, it's possible that the additivity of these procedures might not be as uh, Generous as we would hope, and so we do need clinical data to, to sort of flush that out a little bit, let us know. Uh, for example, at the American Glaucoma Society. I showed that adding endocyclophotocoagulation to an Ahmed valve uh, doesn't uh, enhance the efficacy of the Ahmed valve that much. But you are getting forty percent pressure reduction with the Ahmed valve, so maybe you just sort of maxed out what you could do with any one surgery at that point.
0: Yeah, interesting. Uh, I, uh, I have one last question. There's an information gap here, which is, is that what I would love to know going into surgery is what the reduction is that I'm going to get for that particular patient with ECP to determine whether I'm going to do a second mix procedure. But that's information that I can't have. How do you choose a priori that you're going to be doing two mix procedures as opposed to just one?
1: Well I think you start with the data that you do have, uh, you know, which is how much pressure reduction can I expect with, for example, a cataract and an eye stent. And that's around 33 percent pressure reduction. Uh, and then you ask, well, is that going to suit the needs of this patient? Is this patient on three or four drops? Does this patient need forty, forty-five? Uh, and then you're going to have to use your judgment. Okay, there are some risks to endocyclophotocoagulation, uh, but does the risk of the glaucoma to this patient outweigh that risk? And if so, then to me that's the rationale. Until we have better information, to consider combining them. Um, but you know. Every patient, the patient's personality, their tolerance for risk, their age, their disease state—you know—all these things are factored in, and it's uh, it's very complex. And there are still some dilemmas.
0: Oh, so it's not just some simple table that I can look up, and, 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 <laughs> and that I never have to to consult you. That they will not come, uh, Neil. I want to thank you as always for 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 bringing this this interesting topic to us for being so absolutely clear with uh, the way that you lay things out. So it's always a pleasure speaking with you and for being so very generous with your time with us today.
1: Thank you, Josh. It's great to be here.
0: I'm here with Rob Noaker. Rob, this is how I think about it. And, and, and tell me if you think about it the same way. Uh, I suspect that you do. That uh, in, the, in the olden days, maybe three or four years ago, there, there was this sort of unbridgeable quantum space between. You can tell this conversation is is, is already revealing my nerd street cred <laughs> be, between cataract. Total respect. Yeah, thanks, man. <laughs> um, uh, be, between cataract surgery and glaucoma surgery, and and comprehensive people would you know would would feel free to 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 do uh, medical. Uh, treatments for, for pressure and laser treatments. And then there, there was this huge leap to filtering surgery and this, this no man's land right. uh, into which we we dare not cross. Um, with the adoption of MIGs mm-hmm. and the sort of shift in mindset the comprehensive people like me are mm-hmm. undergoing yep. in which we see ourselves as sort of glaucoma surgeons light, mm-hmm. um, there seems to be a, a, a renewed interest yeah. in glaucoma technologies that have existed for some time, but now are within kind of our sphere. And yeah. the one in particular that I'm that I'm thinking of is endocyclophotocoagulation. Now This mm-hmm. is not something new, am I right?
2: You're right. I mean, I've been doing um, endo ECP for about probably about 20 years. But I think to your point. The way we, the way I probably do it now, is is different than in the past, um, and I think you know the addressing of the MIG space has really kind of made us want to reevaluate. Like maybe the jump is not so far, and this is one of those procedures that can kind of be in that middle ground that you kind of alluded to. So, and I think the other thing about ECP is is the the combining, and there's more and more of this with our MIG space because once again, we still have traditional glaucoma surgery, and if you need you know, very low pressures or big intervention, it's there. But if we can still find a way to mitigate risk, and I'd put ECP in one of these lower risk categories along with the other MIGs-like procedures, I think, you know, if you could do two of those procedures and each one are, you know, moderately successful, but that might add up to a full success, and it's, it's straightforward. And so I think the additivity is what is attractive. And because this is an inflow procedure, you can add it to any other outflow procedure we do. So I think it's that versatility... And I think at the other end of the spectrum, and I'm a kind of a tertiary glaucoma guy, is you have these patients who failed everything else. They have, you know. And my philosophy over time is don't repeat your mistakes. Now I'm a little slow, and it's taking me a while to get there. But you know, if a patient's failed a tube, why why would I put a second tube in? Which is what I used to do. Or if you failed a trabeculectomy, why try it again and probably fail again? Because I think past failure predicts future failure. So I think it's different and that's why it works in many patients who have kind of gone down a certain outflow route um but it's different enough that that's the magic thing just like we see eye drops that work great on some people and and not the next
0: now uh i i know from a physiologic standpoint how ecp works but talk me through a
2: a typical procedure it's not something that i've ever done mm-hmm. so i think the, the still the most common setting for ecp is um right after fresh cataract surgery so combined with the cataract surgery so typically you do the cat you do the cataract portion and this situation is ideal because there's a lot of space and because this procedure relies on direct visualization of your target which is the ciliary processes so when the lens is out of the eye there's a you can fill up the eye with viscoelastic and you know you have a very good view to the ciliary processes and so cataracts out some people put the the lens in first sometimes I'll, I'll treat before i put the lens in that's kind of a more psychological issue is like oh i'm done with the cataract part i'll get the lens in and be done with that i think access is actually easier if you treat through the capsular bag which is you know transparent to this wavelength of energy so you can shoot through there and the idea is that you want to see whitening and shrinkage of the ciliary processes because that's where a majority of the ciliary epithelium is and that's what you want to do is selectively um, reduce the amount of ciliary epithelium that's producing aqueous so if, and I tend to do it through two incisions because I can treat around 360 degrees. The good thing about this procedure is it's is impossible to cause hypotony because from an anterior approach, there's still more ciliary epithelium that's out there that you just can't access from, in the, from the front side of the eye. So. Treat arounds have whitening, you kind of go back and forth a few times, because what you see is as you get whitening one area, more ciliary epithelium will be exposed, and you you think about more like painting versus causing um, lesions. And then you basically, I think one of the keys or pearls is you need to get the viscoelastic out, because you do use more viscoelastic than with this cataract surgery alone. I think you need to also watch out for IOP spikes, which once again is from, I think, retained viscoelastic in most cases. And then lastly is get a head start on inflammation, because this procedure works by causing some inflammation. You just want it to be just a little bit and to get the positive effect without any of the side effects. So I'm very aggressive. I give IV um, decadron to the patient during the procedure. I put Kenalog in the eye at the conclusion. And and these eyes are some of the quietest ones I have on post-op day one.
0: Huh. So, um, one, one of the uh, things that, that distinguishes endocyclophotocoagulation mm-hmm. from, uh, from other MIGS procedures like trabecular meshwork bypass stents is, is that mm-hmm. there is uh, the ability to do this as a standalone procedure right. uh, separately from cataract surgery. Yes. So, let, let me ask you then where does this procedure fit into your practice?
2: I, I would say, you know, in, in some ways, and I think this is why we like the MIGS procedures is because they don't have an adverse effect on the outcomes of our cataract surgery. You know, and I do a lot of premium cataract surgery, and I have that patient population. And this is something that I can do that doesn't alter astigmatism. We had a paper here last year at the ASCRS that showed it was astigm- astigmatically neutral, which is great. Um so I think that's just the most common setting is while we're there, we'll try to reduce your medication load, et cetera. But then there's a the second part of the population where the patients had something else done or, or not, but they need additional intervention. And it's fairly, once again, you basically can, the approach, the setup is exactly the same as if you're going in combination with cataract surgery. You make the same incisions. The treatment is very, very much similar. So for that population, it's, it's kind of in the second tier. So it can be first line can be a second line in terms of surgical intervention and then once again you can do it in the most tertiary cases which in that case I often goes from our pars pointer approach because I can be more thorough in my treatment and we can get pressures down to 10 or single digits if we if we do it from the back
0: but it's 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 less likely that a, that a that a comprehensive person like like me is going to be in in the in that situation the patient's going to be seeing you mm-hmm. anyway uh, specifically <laughs> um, uh, R- rob the, 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 the this is really really great stuff i'm really happy that that you've that you've brought it to us it's interesting uh i'm glad that we're talking about it i'm very grateful for your generosity with your time with us today it's always a pleasure nathan radcliffe is clinical assistant professor at the nyu department of ophthalmology in new york new york rob noaker comes to us from fairfield connecticut Ask questions of Dr. Radcliffe, Dr. Noeker, or any of our previous guests, or make a comment about any of the topics we've discussed. These interviews are meant to be the start of a conversation in which you participate. Write to me with your questions or comments at josh at org. As Seen From Here is a production of the American Society of Cataract and Refractive Surgery. Be a part of the next podcast. I'm Josh Young.